0: Hello everyone
1: and welcome to another episode of West Side Stories, your Raptors 905 podcast brought to you by Raptors Republic. I'm Kelsey and I'm joined by my co-host Dwayne on a lovely Monday Monday evening actually. Um, Dwayne, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. How are you?
1: I'm good. Um, I'm tired. We had an 11 o'clock game this morning. Um you might know a thing or two about that. What's it like um, for the 905 or one year with the 905 or any team for that matter to play such
0: an early game? Well, it's very intriguing because as basketball players or athletes in general, we like to have structure. And it's kind of hard when they just throw that in there. So you're used to doing something every day, which is practice at a certain time. You have a routine. Now, when you have these 11 a.m. games, you have to kind of shift your routine and, and adjust, and you have to kind of you know, you might not have a shoot around before the game because the game's so early, you might have a light early shoot around walkthrough. Um, you have to eat breakfast. Like if you're a player that doesn't really, you know, eat breakfast before games or whatever, you have to make sure that you eat the right amount of foods, but not be too heavy because it's before noon. So there's a lot of things that go into it. You want to get to the gym earlier. Um, you want to make sure that you're resting hard because obviously you're playing earlier. So you want to make sure you get to bed on time and there's a lot of adjustments you have to make, so it's always different and interesting. But at the same time, it was pretty cool because most of those 11 a.m. games were school games, right? So with that being said, you have, you know, all the fans cheering. And that's one thing you can count on when you're playing these school games. You have these fans screaming at the high pitch, these kids screaming high pitch, uh, no matter if you guys are up by 20, down by 20. And it's always good to play in front of that support.
1: Um, so what time, theoretically, would you have to get to the arena for an 11 o'clock game as a player?
0: I mean, as a player, you got to be there almost two hours before a game regardless. Um, So you add that on and then, you know, like I said, we we used to do this thing where, you know, we would have a light shoot around. So we necessarily wouldn't, you know, be taped and braced and we wouldn't tie our shoes. But we would get out of court a little bit earlier, probably around 9, 930 at least. And we would walk through some things, whether it's the offense, look at some film. um, And then from there, we get treatment. Probably get some breakfast provided for us. And then you start preparing for the game and get ready for your shooting groups and time. So um, it's, it's very it's very advanced, but it's always fun when you play these games because after the game, you have the whole day to yourself.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so strange because you think of like the two way guys like Delano was down on assignment and then you have the two ways like on the other team. You had Cassius Winston. So he played Saturday at two o'clock. And then he played at six o'clock Sunday night with the Wizards, and then he played at eleven o'clock Monday morning. So that's gotta be crazy for like a, a job that requires you to be so structured and so regimented to have some, like such completely different times for games.
0: It's crazy. You have to, you know, really be on top of your stuff. Um, but the, the organization does a good job of having people in place that help you and assist you and accommodate you in these situations so that it's a seamless transition. I remember actually when Chris Boucher was on our team and yeah, he would play in the 11 a.m. game and then they would have to, the Raptors would have a home game, uh, at the Scotiabank arena that night. So it's like, he wouldn't even go home. He would just stay there and just get treatment and get ready for his parent, t- uh, team's game. And I, I, I felt it for him. I was like, man, you're there all day. Um uh, um, you got to prepare for two games, but, you know, we're basketball players and and we're competitive and we love the, the the opportunity to compete.
1: Now, what is it like, because when you were at the 905 both years, they had those, those games at Scotiabank Arena. I think they had two a season some years. What is the difference between the Paramount Fine Food Center and the Scotiabank Arena games? Cause I was like, I felt so lost. I felt like a little mouse in a big city, Like, I I missed the familiarity of Paramount Fine Foods. I missed the closeness of everything. It just, I felt like a fish out of water. What is it like as a player to play in such a gigantic arena and such a notable arena at that?
0: Well, you definitely notice a difference. Um, You know, it's a different environment, like you said. So you just have to kind of adjust to the atmosphere. Um, It's a bigger space. It's very polished, very clean. Everything pops, the lights. Um, you know, so you just gotta be you know calm in the environment and settle yourself for the moment. Um, it's always a great opportunity you're playing in the NBA court in the NBA arena because this is somewhere you wanna hopefully be playing permanently. So it also serves as great motivation and inspiration as a basketball player too. Every time you play on these NBA facilities, you imagine yourself playing there long term. So that also provided like a little spark for me, energy-wise. And then you know, you wanna go there earlier, like you go to social Bank earlier. Um, as a basketball player, someone who wants to, you know, get a lot of shots up so they can get into rhythm um, because you're not used to shooting on these rims. So you want to do what you can, you know, through shooting around or through practice the night before if time permits and allows you to, you know, get on that court and get some shots up. But as a basketball player, you want to, you know, you want to try and familiar yourself, uh, familiar, get familiar with the rims and you want to get there early, get some shots up and get into routine. So that one is game time. You're not looking crazy out there and looking like you're a deer in headlights.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it, it's kind of weird because it's almost like it's all your home fans are there, but it's still in a away arena for both teams.
0: Exactly. It's it's kind of cool. I imagine it being like an artist where you're like opening up for a, for a bigger art, a headline tour. <laughs> <laughs> and you have some fans where it's like, OK, 905. OK, oh, wow. And then it's cool because you kind of show up for the Toronto based fans that maybe are not familiar with how well you play with the 905. So it's always cool to. Um and and added pressure as well because for most of those games you know some of the Raptors especially if they're there, um and and have a game in the city that night or the next day that means they're in Toronto as well. So you'd have you know Coach Nick Nurse and the assistant coaches and you'd have you know the staff from Pascal Siakam who we saw today, um you know come to the game and and Fred VanVleet et cetera and have that kind of fun show that camaraderie because they also used to play for nine five to show their support. But as a player sometimes that can be intimidating. You know you want to show up for for your big bros and you you see them courtside and they're talking and and they're having fun and they're they're motivating you and encouraging you. It's also cool at the same time. It's it's very exciting.
1: What's it like to shoot? I mean, I know you've never done this in your entire basketball career, (laughs) but what is it like to shoot like an air ball or something, something just so like brutally embarrassing on a regular day in front of superstars like that, or in front of the parent club? Does it add like an extra layer of humiliation?
0: I mean, not really, because at the end of the day, it happens to everybody. I think we've all shot an air ball before. And, um, you know, if you're doing that, then clearly it's just a result of your nerves. So they would know that. They'd probably get on you for a little bit, it'd be a topic of discussion, might show it, clip that, show it in game film or in practice, like day, and, and kind of have their laugh about it. But at the same time, go all be in that situation. At the end of the day, we just want to support um, who's representing the five and the Raptors. So, you know, we come together collectively to kind of lift that person up. And they could get them settled for the game so they could prepare and have a great game.
1: This is like another another reason I'm not a professional athlete is like one airball that I'd be done. I would never show my face on the court again. I would be way too humiliated.
0: <laughs> the group chat goes crazy. That day. I, mean, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I could not
0: live uh, with myself.
1: Um, but what are the school games like? Because what I've noticed from the last couple seasons going to those school games, those are probably some of the hypest crowds I've ever seen. Like those kids, they study you all. They know you all. They are screaming from buzzer to buzzer. What's the difference between a school game and just a regular, you know, Tuesday night game?
0: Well, like you said, it's the kids and their passion for basketball. One, they're probably very excited because they get to miss school for the day. I, yeah. I don't know if it's. Of the day, but they get to they get to be out of school. So when I was a kid, anything you know, field trip to to medieval times was was the best thing for me because we get to miss classes for that day. So I'm sure they're very excited about that. But like you said, having the opportunity. To to kind of meet these players because you know sometimes you know they don't they're not able to go to the Toronto Raptors actual game so they're you know the school does a great job of, of connecting with the Raptors nine to five to create these situations where they can come and then they can watch these players play and they get to meet these players and they get to see these players close up and um, similar to before how I talked about being a player and seeing the Raptors on the sideline um, you know nine five serves these players serve as, as inspiration for these kids as well. To to show them that like listen, you could you could be here, you could play here, you could strive for greatness, you could, you know, you can go to university just off playing basketball, you could, you could be a professional basketball player and it makes things seem more intangible and more personable. And then it's always hype because the kids are just cheering for you when loss draw, and you know, they scream at the top of their lungs. It's funny the, the way they cheer. It's like you just hear a high pitched screaming just around the whole arena. <laughs> and it's funny because it's like you'd be shooting free throws. You're like, all right, I'm shooting free throws. You guys got to stop screaming. <laughs> so, so I can concentrate and focus, but you can't help but laugh because of how excited they are. And then after the game, you know, they're, they're crowding the tunnel. You know, they want to have high five signatures. They want they're asking for your shoes, your socks, your headbands, your wristbands. So it's always a cool feeling to receive that love from the fans and then, you know, take it with you in the future. So that when you're playing back at Hershey, you can kind of remind yourself of that energy and and remember what it was like to be in the atmosphere of those school games, especially at Scotiabank Arena.
1: Did you ever hear any of the little kids say like some wild out-of-pocket stuff? Oh, because yes. I heard a little yeah. bit today.
0: <laughs> Very. It, it, sometimes when I'm playing teams and, and I hear kids say this, they're about this player. I'm just like, man, little they no, I know they're just cheering. But you know this guy's really nice, and you're poking the bear right now. Like I need you, I need you kids to relax and not not say too much because I'm 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 doing my job defensively on so and so, and right now you're getting him extra 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 upset by getting underneath his skin, but. Again, it's extremely funny because, like you said, when you see kids who have done their homework and they actually have like their own little mini version of their scouting reports and and they they did their research on these particular players, it's kind of cool to see them kind of put it into <laughs> into words and and see how they kind of trash talk on the sidelines.
1: Yeah, there was this group of students behind me, and I forget who they're talking about. It was I think it was Greg Monroe, and they were just chirping them like ruthlessly. They were like, "That's why you're back in the G League." <laughs> oh no. And I was just like, "How? first of all, where did this audacity come from? If your parents would hear, they would whoop you. Second of all, how did you know any of this?
0: Yeah, They were doing their Googles. They were doing their Googles, that's
1: yeah. for sure. But no, they, they all have so much fun and it's, it's so fun to see. I don't know if I could, as a player, hear that every single game.
0: I and don't I know, about really definitely hear it loud in your ears. But, you know, when you're on the road and you're playing in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, or these places that might not have the greatest friend support, you know, you kind of you kind of don't take it for granted when you're playing in front of those kids at the school games in Mississauga or in Toronto.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Um, So. Let's get into the the last two games a little bit, because they were kind of like night and day in terms of play style you know first game was a brutal brutal loss on saturday today looked like it was heading that way uh you know a 20 point deficit to start the quarter 20 a 20 and 0 run by capital city that the 905 turned around pretty quickly once the bench got in what it, how common is that to have one terrible terrible game and then one pretty good game the next like literally 48 hours later
0: I mean, it's, it depends on the kind of team you are. It depends on your character. But a great team always, you know, when they have the opportunity to play a team twice, um, you know, if they, if they drop the first one, they're able to go to film, they're able to go to practice and shoot around and adjust. And that quick turnaround is something that you look for in, in leadership, whether it's on the staff or whether it's in the leadership of the players um to kind of instill that 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 lesson in the guys that listen we're not gonna drop two in a row to the same team. We're competitors and we don't want to do that. And it's very important to win both games, most games, and, and split if you can. So, you know, it's it's common between good teams that have that championship DNA. And I think that's something that the Raptor nine to five uh staff uh, has and something that the players have as well and they value. Um so it was very refreshing to see that. You know, you almost lose by 31 game but you come out the next game and you have a completely different output a different um, result and and it paid dividends for them. So it was good to see.
1: Yeah. It seemed like to me the first game, and this might just be what I was witnessing. It could be totally different, but it seemed like there was a very, very big disconnect between the signees, the two ways and then the regular squad. It looked like, you know, there were some, the regular guys seemed kind of lost out there. It seemed like it was almost a three man team. It was three against five. A lot of the possessions because the the regular squad just wasn't included by the the two ways or the assignees they were kind of just lost like standing there waiting for someone to tell them what to do and then the three guys from the bigger club were like you know we
0: we've got this like just just plant yourself in the corner (laughs) and that happens sometimes I mean we spoke about it many times in the pod before prior um you know just the inconsistencies the roster changes and and, you know, the two ways coming down or or the assignees coming down. And and sometimes it creates these situations of uncertainty between the offense. And like you said, there's always that little struggle dynamic that's always sometimes awkward where it's like, all right, you want to defer to the assignees. You want to defer to the two ways because, you know, they're coming down, they're playing with that aggression and they're hunting their shots and, and what have you. But at the same time, when these players defer, who are probably regular contributors um, then it, it, it kind of makes a difference throughout the game because, you know, when you had that disparity in shots or you had a disparity in effort, then it's, it's kind of difficult to kind of collectively come together and win the game. So when you're one of those players who... Are a focal point and, and an important piece when the assignees and the two ways aren't down is very imperative that you want to just shy, shy away and, and refrain from just staying in the corner and being a three and D player if that if that's not your original role. If you're someone that has the ball in your hands, you want to make sure that you go up to the assignees and the two ways and you try to find your own creative offense and aggression within what they're doing and 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 be on the same page so that everybody can can eat because that's what it's all about. It's about the whole team winning so that everybody looks good at the same time and, you know, if the team wins, then you win and, and, and at the end of the day, that's what we're here for.
1: How do you kind of assert yourself as a regular roster member to the assignees or the two ways that are kind of taking over? Like we saw the first game, there were 10 total shot attempts off the bench. That's unacceptable. No matter. I don't care if you know LeBron, Katie, and Giannis came down. Your bench should be shooting more than ten shots, right? So how do yes. you, how do you go up to these guys and say, "Listen, you got to involve us," without kind of creating this on-court rift?
0: Well, I think it's it's just honest. you want to have that transparency as a player. You know, you want to be able to to, to talk to the next man, the next teammate and let them know what you see out there. So, you know, sometimes these players are creating these situations to themselves. They're driving and they're not kicking because they're unable to see or they're not used to, you know, the, the defense or they're not used to where you would be because you might you might have a different concept for the particular team you're on if you're drifting into the corner or not or if you're shaking up when, when a person is driving. So there's, there's a whole bunch of different things that, you know, contribute to why players sometimes are not on the same page. But okay. as a player, I'll tell you one thing. You should be able to, to control what you can control you can't control when someone else is taking shots or they're always in the pick and roll, but you can always control your effort. And for me, one thing I used to do is someone who, you know, was not someone that needed necessarily need the ball in my hands on a, on a every possession basis. But if I was in those similar situations, then I would try to create havoc on defense. I would try to get steals, lose ball opportunities, because then when I steal the ball, then I'm getting a layup. And then when I see the ball go through the net, that feels good. If I'm attacking the basket, I get fouled, I get a free throw. I see the ball go through the net, it feels good. So now when I get the kick out in the corner, I'm able to shoot that three, whether it, I'm, I'm, I'm being closed out or not, because I'm confident and I'm in a rhythm. So for me, if I'm one of the players that, you know, um, sometimes like, you know, like to defer when these bigger guys come down, I want to affect the game as many ways I can. Take a charge here, get a steal here, uh, get an offensive rebound, kick, uh, kick out or, or, or tip in, and do little things that allow you to stay present and active in the game so that. At the end of the day, when you get the ball, you're not looking like a deer in headlights, like I said earlier.
1: Yeah, we saw a lot of that in both games with Ashton Higgins, who we didn't see in the first couple of matchups at home. But he was always, you know, the first one running back in transition. He was always the first one at either end of the court, creating his own opportunities and creating for his teammates. And that allowed him to actually get more minutes in the second game than one of the starters, than Justin Champagny. So it's... it's
0: it's his pace. I, I thought today his pace was incredible. Like you said, just him pushing the pushing the opportunity, um, not necessarily pushing the ball to score, but pushing the ball just to keep the defense on their heels. Um, there was a play today in the game where I think he he literally uh, someone got the rebound, he got the outlet, he ran down, beat a couple guys, and he could have laid it up, forced an easy shot. It, it was kind of like a semi transition. The you know Capital City Gogo was kind of back half heartedly. And all he did was kick it out to Bonga, and he hit a three. It seemed literally so simple, but to the basketball mind, like just the fact that he was able to get the ball and push it up the court, not necessarily for himself, but just to see the opportunity that he can get for that possession. Um, It really showed me his, 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 his commitment to his aggression today. And, you know, hopefully we see that going forward for him. Like you said, we haven't seen him play that much prior to this, but it's good to know that we have someone on the team that could push the pace
1: Yeah. And I mean, speaking of Isaac Bonga, he was really, again, like always a difference maker today. He kind of closed that gap between the NBA guys and the G league guys. And it seemed like, you know, he was including not only the NBA guys, but the G league guys as well. He was creating for everyone. He was finding everyone. He knows these guys. He's played the most with them. He knows their strengths. He knows their weaknesses. He was there, you know, playing to their strengths. He was there covering up their weaknesses. Like he, He does so much. And it's something Patrick Matumbo spoke about after the game. It's just that he's got this basketball mind that makes it look so effortless. But you know, as a player, that the things that he's doing take so much critical thinking and so much skill.
0: Yeah, especially because of his length and his activity. Um, to the naked eye it just looks like whatever but like you said as someone who could really assess the basketball game you see how difficult it is when he's putting these situations um something i saw today he had four steals i mean that that is just testament to his commitment on defense and just how active he is knifing through ball screens um you know even though he's being able to switch like sides he's still able to keep his defender in front of him and then i know that the raptors and know shout out my guy arsalon uh 905 they have a coach that that tallies up Deflections and and how many stops they get into a row. So you know that pride on defense that Matumbo continues to instill in the team is is definitely starting to, to, to starting to reap through. And we saw that today with his activity when he had you know eight rebounds and he also had four assists to go along with his sixteen points and a very efficient shooting seven for ten from the field.
1: Yeah, he's just he amazes me more and more every single day. And there, Ashton Higgins is another one to watch. But there's so many of these guys that I. Every podcast, it's going to sound like I'm hating on the two-way guys. I don't hate two-way players. (laughs) I love two-way players. I just also love seeing the regular G League guys get some time. You know, we had like five guys today. Andrew Rousey didn't play. Alexander DiCupo didn't play. Juwan Evans didn't play. Romero Gale didn't play. Kevon Harris didn't play. And these are the kind of things that, like, these guys are missing very valuable time, very valuable minutes when these two-way guys are playing. I wish that there was some sort of some way that you could
0: play all of them. I wish you were able to dress all of them. I know that'd be incredible, um, especially like when these guys come down to see what they can learn, not just from a watching standpoint, because they're getting a they're getting a firsthand courtside experience of of watching. You know, a Malachi Flynn who who's who's practicing against Fred Fred Van Fleet every day and playing with the parent club and getting the opportunity. It would be cool if Andre Rousey got to actually play with him at the same time to kind of learn some things from an experience-based standpoint as well. But, you know, all you can do is stay locked in to Kevon Harris, to Jawan Evans, to Romero, to Romero Gill, to to Andrew Rousey, to Josh Hall. You just want to stay locked in. You want to continue watching film. Um, You want to be happy about your team getting the win today. Uh, you want to get some shit. Like I said, the 11 a.m. game, you know, you – it's one of those rare opportunities where you finish a basketball game and you leave the arena and there's still daylight. <laughs> it's not it's not nighttime. It's still a whole day left. So, you know, you get something to eat, you rest, you recover and you come back to the gym and you get that work in because you didn't, you know, you didn't play. So, you know, it's just all about pushing through and, and keeping your head forward and, you know, rising above, because sometimes you're going to have those games where you're a DMP um, just out the fact that you have so many assignees in two ways that are coming down but they're not going to play every game. So that's the thing that you have to realize and you have to you know stay in the moment and be ready and be prepared because your team's going to need you eventually and you don't want to be that guy that's unprepared. You want to be that guy that um you know when coach calls your name. So when you're in these situations when those two-ways and those assignments aren't there that you're able to perform at the highest level and that there's going to be no letdown from when the two-ways come down or when the signees come down. That's that's what it's all about, I think, is kind of staying even kill. is that even though you have all these interchangeable moving parts, as a team, you still want to be trending in the right direction, and you want to be you know heading towards that peak, not too early and not too late, but you want to always head towards that ascending direction of getting better as a team every day. So I think if they just focus on that, then individually it'll also fall into place for these guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, you never want to be the guy who finally gets time off the bench and looks completely lost.
0: Exactly. exactly. You, know, you have to be that guy that could just fit in seamlessly wherever if you're playing 30 minutes today or if you're playing 10 minutes today, if you're playing five minutes today, you still affect the game in the same way. Your defense, your attitude, your effort doesn't change. Your shot atti- your shot attempts might change in terms of the amount, but or the, the amount of touches you get, you know, on that possession or throughout that game, but you never want to let it discourage how you play um, you know, basketball as a whole. Um, so that's one of those things that they have to be cautious of. And I think that our guys are doing a good job of that.
1: Yeah. I don't think we've seen anyone really get down on themselves for not getting any time. They all seem to just, you know, be happy to contribute in any way that they can. And we see them, we saw Andrew Rousey a couple of weeks ago, we saw Ashton Hagen Saturday night, you know, they don't get many minutes. So they're up there putting, putting up shots later and just, just staying ready. And I think that that's something that probably coaches and scouts look for as well is that, okay, we're not going to look at the guy who's necessarily playing, you know, 36 minutes a night, but what can this guy produce with two minutes? How does he look out there? Does he look like he's, you know, a fish out of water?
0: And it's crazy because, you know, again, to the naked eye, it might sound like it's unfair, or unreasonable, but this is literally direct training to what happens in the next level. When you play on certain teams in the next level, you literally are sometimes told that you're supposed to take four shots per game. Like, and you're only allowed to take for shots, if you're wide open, so especially if you're a three and D player, so there's situations where you're gonna play on some teams like we talked about before. If you play for the Brooklyn Nets, or if you play for these certain teams that have these perennial, you know, Hall of Fame scorers and franchise players, you're not gonna be able to get high sample size when it comes to your shots. So you're gonna to have to be able to do with just three to five attempts, or how many little attempts that you get. So you want to maximize your when it comes to that.
1: The NBA right now is at that weird spot where where no one's kind of retiring anytime soon. Like these guys, most of the stars in the NBA <laughs> right now have a couple of years left in their peak. So you're not going to be going into the league to be that guy, right? You're going to go in to fill a role. So I think that, yeah, like we were saying, what what you produce off the bench, what you produce in your limited minutes is just as important as what these guys are producing in 36.
0: Exactly. You're limited minutes. And I think a lot of young players need to take heed to this is that, you know, just because you're like, no amount of minutes is garbage time. I think there's like a misconception about you know, I only played seven minutes today. No, well, them seven minutes are being evaluated at the next level. So you want to see what you can do. You want to maximize your efficiency, your effort in in those seven minutes, even though it's just seven minutes, whether it's at the end of the first quarter, end of the second quarter, whether it's the end of the – it doesn't matter. Like, as a basketball player, as a competitor, you want to make sure that every time you're you're stepping on the court, you're giving 100% effort because you never know who's watching – and you don't want to show bad attitude and have bad body language and you want to maximize your opportunity. So, um, that's one of the things. If I was, if I was a player growing up. I I, w- I wish that somebody told me when I was in high school growing up. And so when I made certain teams and I didn't get the playing time or I felt discouraged because I was only playing for four minutes, this game, and then next game, 20 minutes. Like you have to understand that sometimes it's situational. It's not necessarily about you as an individual. There's some things that are out of your control, but what you can control is your, your, your approach to the game every night.
1: And how do you, how do you switch to that mindset? Because it's something that I always thought of when Bruno Caboclo was with the Raptors, when, you know, he would play these garbage time minutes and people will be chanting, you know, we want Bruno. And he knows and they know that it's because they're up, you know, 30 points, they're up 20 points. Is that kind of that's going to be a defeating feeling for those guys, right? Like just to know that you are essentially this human victory
0: cigar. I mean, yeah, like Taco Falls, et cetera, et cetera. Those yeah. kind of guys. But you know, as a player, like I said, you just want to make sure that you 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 don't you don't I mean, we had COVID, we had the pandemic where we were unable to play basketball. So right now, you should be happy getting one minute of of playing time on the court. Just being able to cherish the fact that you're able to, to hoop right now is, is a special and during this difficult time is very special, it's a special feeling. So you wanna kind of you know strip yourself, rid yourself of that that pride of and, and kind of be humble when it comes to that, you know, sometimes you're going to play in those end of the game down by 30 or up by 30 moments, but they can all be teachable lessons. Um, you know, you, you want to like, I remember being in university and you know, you have walk-ons who don't play that much, you know, they, they practice extremely hard and, and to them, they look at those moments, they look at those minutes as, as rewarding. Like they've, they've waited all their life to play five minutes in the sec game or to play whatever. So You know, there's I think as a player, you have to realize that everybody goes through it. Everybody goes through those situations where, you know, you're not the best on the team or you're not playing the whole game on the team. Or there's always going to be a hierarchy system in basketball that you have to adhere to as a player and have to respect. And that's something that I've learned throughout my career.
1: Yeah, I guess just going in humble and knowing that it might hurt now and it might be kind of embarrassing now. But if you stick
0: to it, it's not going to always be that way. Exactly, you just want to stay the course. You mm-hmm. want to stay the course, and because you're going to be in a position where you're 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 going to be on the other side of the politics that we like, like we like to say in the locker room. So, um, you know, when you're when you talk to guys and vets and OGs, like, like we just talked about Greg Monroe, when you have guys like that who can who can be on a G League team who who have been on great NBA have have been on great NBA rosters and in great NBA situations in locker room, they can kind of pass down that wisdom. So that's why it's always good to have the G League you know, NBA vets that can come in and kind of keep these guys head straight and let them know, like, listen, I went through the same thing you went through and look where I am now. So um, when you have those kind of stories of success stories and it kind of allows you to change that mindset a little earlier as a player um, and and that kind of goes a long way for you at the end of your career.
1: Yeah, i mean, bringing it back to Bruno. Like he he here was the end of bench guy, you know, garbage time. He went back to Brazil. He's playing professionally back home in Brazil now. And he is a star. Like, they love him. He's he's yeah. starting. He's he's playing every game and they love him. So it's not a forever thing when you're that end of bench guy. You're not always going to be the 15th
0: man. Yep. And it's always going to be an audition for another team like we spoke about before. Um, I think we talked about Precious. Uh, you know, Precious played last year with Miami. and He didn't get that much playing time. But now... Yeah, it's as if his career was in a different trajectory, a whole other path. So sometimes, like I said earlier, it's about the situation, not necessarily about your talent level. So you want to make sure that you don't give these organizations, coaches, um, corporations, people, fans any opportunity to say that that person is not locked in, that person is not ready, that person doesn't care. You want to continue to have your head up, be a positive individual and continue to work hard so that you can have these Bruno situations you can have these precious situations where maybe in one team you're not playing that much but over the summer you're acquired by a different team and you're able to fulfill a different role and be successful at it
1: yeah because precious was like the holdout for that Kyle Lowry sign and trade they they masai and bobby they specifically wanted precious and it's people are kind of curious they're like why he doesn't play he doesn't get any minutes he's this raw talent and you can start to see why they wanted him he's really kind of come into his own and found a good situation with toronto so like i mean like
0: we say on every pod you never know who's watching never know who's watching he was he was behind bam out of bio Uh, behind a whole bunch of other good bigs and it's like he never really had the opportunity to kind of show himself fully but you come to a team where you know we're depleted in that spot and now he's able to showcase himself and now he's doing wonders for his career because whether he stays with us or not he's already showed the NBA and other teams that he's capable of being in this league.
1: Yeah, I mean all of our centers seem to be that way. You know, Chris Boucher was like that with Golden State. Ken Birch was like that with Orlando Magic and now Precious is like that. From the Miami Heat, so like a running
0: common theme that we have going on. I guess
1: so. <laughs> I wonder who will be next. But well, I you know what,
0: the city of Toronto is a city of underdogs, and I think that's why our fans. You know, we have the Jurassic Park, why we have the Kyle Lowry stories, why we have all these amazing stories of players. You know, like you said, Boucher of of, of Fred Van Fleet, of Siakam coming from the G League, Norman Powell. You have these stories, um, Yako Porto, You have these stories of guys who who were not, you know, necessarily received as, a, you know, great big players. Or like we said, you know, Fred going undrafted is kind of hard to even fathom when you see how well he plays. Um, so Toronto embraces that culture of like being, you know, the underdogs and being overlooked because in Toronto when it comes to athletics that's how they treat us, especially when it's not hockey. So we already have that chip <laughs> on our shoulders and then you you kind of put the battery in these players backs and it's kind of like we embrace that attitude. We embrace that environment of like all right the rest of the world's not going to respect us. Let's let's show them why Canada you know, is is a great place for basketball and a great, in a great country in general. Let's show them my Toronto is a great place for basketball and also a great city in general. So I feel like it goes hand in hand and it's a perfect marriage between the players and also the organization with the Raptors and the 905 of players who have just been overlooked and, and are considered as underdogs. that have to prove themselves not only to their peers, but also to the competition.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you have to have a certain mentality, like a very like proven mentality to play in Toronto whether it's for the 905 or whether
0: it's for the Raptors? You know, it's, it's funny because you always t- you always look at these crowds um, like, you know, Philadelphia or, you know, you look at New York, obviously, and you see sometimes when they boo their own players because they don't feel like the effort is there. I, I kind of feel like Toronto, we don't boo our players. But we have that passion in the sense where it's like we just want to see our players play hard. It's not even necessarily about us winning every game or or about us being flashy or making, you know, ESPN or SportsNet or TSN every night. It's about it's about guys who are playing hard. And if you play hard, you will be embraced. That's why we have so many cult favorites in Toronto, whether it's JYD, whether it's like Jamar Moon, like whether it's, you know, other guys that probably aren't super, you know, noticeable and successful in other organizations, but they're like our prize you know, jewels here in Toronto just because they embody what Toronto is about and Canada in general, which is that underdog mentality.
1: Yeah. I mean, like since the championship, that's kind of shifted a little bit because people, you know, you have a lot of new fans expecting to win everything.
0: Expectations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think, I think you're right. I think that, you know, Toronto really, they really value their players and we see it all the time with the 905. I mean, we, we, there are some diehard fans and they
0: they become like family family yes exactly you know so shout out to the fans that are continuing to support you know the 905 i think it's incredible that they're you know showing out whether it's courtside at every game whether it's at the fine paramount food centers or whether it's at scotia bank arena you see the same faces and you know they they're they're their unconditional support is amazing whether the 905 loses, whether they win, whether, you know, you're a player that could be called up for a couple of days or called up to even a different team. But when you come back here, the love and the support is exactly the same. And I think that's something that's very important to these players, especially players who are not familiar with Canada and not from Toronto. And, you know, you know, you have that support system and it's like you're able to find that second, third, fourth kind of family feeling um, in a foreign country. So I think that goes a long way because as players, you definitely get homesick. You know, believe it or not, like these Americans, especially, are homesick when they come over to to Mississauga to the nine hundred five. So to have that familiar face and that constant energy of like support, it goes a, it goes an extremely long way for a player.
1: Yeah, especially the ones from the south. We have so many guys from the south this year. You know, I think Reggie's from Alabama, Juwan's from South Carolina, Kevon's from Atlanta. They're probably pretty homesick seeing all this snow.
0: Homesick, and they're about to get exactly they're about to get a rude awakening when you <laughs> <have> that, like, <laughs> them 10 inches of, like, you know, them, them school day type vibes of snow, where it's, it's <laughs> even walk through the snow and stuff. So, um, those days are approaching soon, and I'm interested to see how they handle it.
1: I am also interested. It looks like they are fast approaching, but I think that's a good place for us to leave off. Um, thank you for listening. We will be back again next week with some brand new content for you. I'm Kelsey. You can find me on Twitter at Kelsey underscore lately. You can find the podcast at West Side Stories. Dwayne, where can we find you?
0: Me, you can find me on Instagram at Do Notice. And then on Twitter, you can find me at Do Take Notice. Um, so continue supporting the pod and continue listening. We're going to have some special guests coming up, which I'm very excited about I'm interviewing some you know former 905 guys and current 905 guys um and that's something that I'm excited about that's going to be happening very soon
1: alrighty thanks for listening and we will see you later
0: feel like in the watch what the